right, so let's, let's bow our heads and then we'll, um, we'll jump in. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you again for bringing us here, um, the youth here, to, to study your word. Um, as we're going through these kings of Israel, I pray that we can learn more and more as we go through um, and things that can be applicable to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, guys. So, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 14 of Second Samuel. Um, but before we start reading, could someone give us a quick overview of what we covered last week? Um, it was about um, um, was it David and Bathsheba and just the whole story and then um, oh, I forgot the name and then about um, is it David's son um, raping his sister and then like how yeah. everything went downhill from there. All right. Great. All right. So David um, was somewhere where he shouldn't have been, um, which was still at home. And he had the whole situation, that uh, the, the entanglement that, that that happened with Bathsheba, um, which resulted in a child. Um, he then killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Um, and then after which he then witnessed his son rape his daughter, as Mitzvah said. He then didn't punish his son, which led to his other son killing his son, um, and now Absalom, the one that killed Amnon, has run away. Yeah. So let's just pick up. Well, we'll let's read the last couple of verses of verse, of chapter thirteen. Actually, someone could read from verse um, thirty-six to thirty-nine, just the last few verses, just to get, get give us that context. Second Samuel 13. 36 Thank you, Mary. So from which verse? You said the ending, right? Yeah, so from, from verse 36 to uh, 39. Okay. So it was as soon as he had finished speaking that the king's sons indeed came when they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihad, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. Cool, thank you. All right, so uh, who knows where Geshur is? Hard question, I know, but does anyone know where Geshur is? Or the significance of why he would run away to Gesher. I'm guessing it's a far place. Okay, it is a far place, but it's also where Absalom's mother's family is from. So Ab Absalom's mother is like a almost like a princess, and her father, the king, he's the king of Gesher, basically, right, or the ruler of Gesher. So Absalom kind of goes to his grandfather's land. Yeah. So basically, it's like when man flies yard after doing foolishness, just to cool off. Yeah, so so somewhere where David doesn't really have a lot of um, influence, 
Like, David ain't going to chase him there. He's run away. And he spends three years, yeah? Three years in this place. Right? I assume he probably took his sister with him. But three years he spent here. Yeah? Okay. So this is where we are. But the, the, the end of the verse said what? The last verse in verse um, 39. What, what was the lasting impression we get? David was okay with Amnon being dead. Cool. And he kind of wanted Absalom back, right? Yeah. He's kind of feeling like, ah, oh, you know, yeah, I've, I've comforted, I've kind of got over it now. Um, I, I, I want my son back. But he's not back. He's still away. He's still been away for three years. Cool. All right. So let's start. Um, let's start in verse one of chapter fourteen, um, and we're generally going to cover in the story up to chapter eighteen, but we're not going to read all of it. So we'll just um, jump around as we go. But we're probably going to read all of chapter fourteen. So um, if we start with verse one, we can go bit by bit. Second Samuel chapter 14. Now Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was towards Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee, find thyself to be a mourner, and put on now mourning apparel, and anoint thyself with oil, but be as a woman that have had that had a long time mourned for the death. And come to the king and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spake to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and did um, obese, obesance and said, yeah. help, O king. Did you want me to carry on? Okay. Uh, you can do next to you if you want. Uh, and the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman, and mine husband is dead. And thy handmaid had two sons, and they strove together in the field, and there was none to part them, but the one smote the other and slew him. Verse 7. And behold, the whole family is risen against thine handmaid, and I... And they said, Deliver him that smote his brother, that we may kill him, for the life of his brother, whom he slew, and we will destroy the heir also. And so they shall quench my coal which is left, and shall not leave to my husband neither name nor remainder upon the earth. And the king... Sorry. Go ahead. Actually, go and read that verse, bro. And the, king said, and the king said unto the woman, Go to thine house, and I will give charge concerning thee. Okay, let's stop there. What's going on? Family argument got mad. It turned into a Cain and Abel again. <laughs> right, but did it though? Well, no, oh, no, it was a lie. More people. <laughs> it was a lie, right? What's so? What's so? What's happening? It's a detailed lie. It's a detailed lie, right? 
Go give me some more, more. Give me what's going on. You can't just tell me it's a lie. Like what's what, what's happening in the story so far? We just said David is 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 got over um Abnon's death because Absalom killed Abnon, and Absalom has been away three years. Right? Uh, what what's happened since then? So the verse one is saying now Joab the son of Zeruiah perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. So help me if I'm misunderstanding this, but I'm thinking that maybe this means that David was maybe almost like longing after his son, if you get me. Um, yeah. Wanting him to come back, missing his son. Um, I don't know why Absalom, I don't know why Joab thought that was a bad thing, but this is the plan that Joab um, put into action. So what was the plan? What did Job say? What did Job do? He saw that David kind of was longing for Absalom back, so he devised this plan. And what was, what do you think the plan was? To get Absalom home. Right. So what did he tell the woman? Ah, oh, make up the story about the brothers. Okay, cool. So it's like, look, what I want you to do is dress yourself in um, dress yourself like a mourner, dress yourself like someone's died. Right, no one had died. He told the woman, who was said to be a wise woman, said, "Dress up, you dress up yourself like you're like like someone has died, and go and um, talk to the king. And I will put the words. It says up. He put the words in her mouth in verse three. So he gave her this whole story to tell King David, right, while she was wearing mourner's clothes, so that she would he would believe that her son has died, right. And the story was like Daniel said, Cain and Abel." where the sons were, were having an argument in the field and one killed the other. Yeah? And now the whole village wants to come and kill the one that killed um, her, her, one of the sons, right? So the living son, the whole village wants to come kill him because he killed his brother, right? And she's worried that now she's, there's going to be no heirs. Yeah? Okay. That's where we are. Verse 9. Let's, let's continue reading. And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, My lord, O king, the, the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And the king said, Whosoever saith aught unto thee, bring him to thee to me, and he shall not touch thee. Well. Then he then said she, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord thy God, that thou wouldest not suffer the revenges of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. Then the woman said, Let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto my lord the king. And he said, Say on. And the woman said, Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty, in that the king doth not fetch home again his banished. 
for we must die, we must needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that he that his banished be not expelled from him. Cool. What just happened? I think she's telling him, go get your son. Yeah, she's saying, um, go get your son. In, in, in not so many words, um, you know, she's saying, okay, wherefore then has thou thought such a thing against people of God? For the kingdoms, um, you know, why don't you go and fetch your banished? Um, and then she's kind of like, in the next verse, where she says, for we must needs die, and our water split on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. It's like she's reminding him of the frailty of life and all of this. Why are you living your life when your your son's out there? Go get him. Cool, right? So this woman created, created this whole story. I don't know if David at this point clocks that this woman actually has no problem, and he, she's just there to tell him to go get Absalom. But David says, look, I know you're here scared for your son, so trust me, from, from a king's decree almost, I'll make sure that your son is protected. Then she goes, well, if you're happy to forgive my son because he killed his brother um, and you're happy to protect him and all the rest of it, isn't your son out, like, away from home? Like, why haven't you called him back? Why haven't you forgiven him, right? And then verse 14 is like the gospel. She's, put, she's, she's now opened up a sermon, yeah? She's like, look, God has, he, when it says, um, and are as um, spilt on the ground and um, cannot be gathered yeah. up again, that's talking about us, right? That's talking about humanity. That's talking about we're sinful, we're mashed up, we're banished, like um, we're, 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 we cannot help ourselves back to where, back to God. We can't do that. But God has still devised a way in which we can be saved to collect back his banish. That's talking about us, right? That's the gospel. So she's telling David, look, if God can do that for us, if you can do that for my son, why are you here trying to, <laughs> trying to not let your son come back home? Yeah? And this was all Joab's plan to, 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 for, for this, this wise woman to go and tell him this thing. Yeah? So now David gets... Um, convicted he's like yeah you're right true we should bring back Absalom why do you think David didn't bring back Absalom because in the end of the end of verse 13 said that he was long he, they, um, he longed for him right so why did he not from them bring him back Was it because David just like didn't know how to like um what's the word? You know, we see we we see with Am we see with Ammon that David like it's almost like David didn't know how to discipline his kids. And could it have been yeah. that David really didn't want to have to confront that situation? I think David is going through a, a massive conflict around justice in his family, right? Mm. And this is the problem. This is the problem, right? This is what happened. David did his thing with Bathsheba. Not only did he do his thing with Bathsheba, they had a child. 
Not only did they have a child, he then killed her husband. Right? So in mm. David's mind now, he then sees his son do something pretty much pretty much the same. Outside of the murder, he goes and rapes his, his sister. In David's mind, he's now struggling to judge his son because he's seeing himself in him. Mm. Yeah? He's like, I did that. So how can I go and go go and punish him because literally few months later, few months before or however long it was, I was doing the same thing and Nathan had to come and pattern me. Yeah? So now he so he couldn't judge Amnon like he should have done. Right? Now Absalom goes and kills Amnon after two years of waiting for David to, to, to commit the judgment. And now David is in this wrestling almost with himself to say, I really want him back, but I know I need to be a good judge. And he's killed his brother. So how do I how do I reconcile bringing him back, even though I want him back? I need to be a good judge. I remember what happened last time I wasn't a good judge. You understand? Last time I wasn't a good judge, someone got killed. So this time I've got a, so even though I want him back, I need to somehow do this properly, right? So this is where David is in his mind. But he 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 listens to the woman and he tells Joab, "Look, okay." Go, go fetch him. So let's jump to um to verse twenty-eight. In fact, um let's read from yeah, let's read from verse twenty-eight. David said, Bring Brooks told Joab, bring him back, right? So verse twenty-eight. So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have him to have sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. Okay, let's stop there, right? So imagine you're Absalom. And this is from, from chapter 14 of Second Samuel, verse, verse 28 and 29, right? Mm-hmm. But but imagine you're Absalom, right? Your sister gets raped. Mm. Um, your dad, the king, didn't do anything about it. So all, already in your mind, you've got two problems. You're 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 still number two things for two years. Number one, mm. my my brother needs to pay for what he's done. In the, in the the Bible is funny. It says that he he said neither good nor bad to 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 Amnon for two years, mm. right? So Amnon's thinking ah. It's all good. He invites him to his house. He thinks, oh, he's forgiven me. Everything's fine. He hasn't said any. He, he doesn't look bad at me in the street. It's all good. Two twos. Absalom's like, don't worry. It's coming. Yeah? I, was, I, swear, I, was, I swear Absalom didn't even do it, man. He got his servants to do it. Yeah, yeah didn't he? Got, got his servants to do it, right? Mm. Then what happened is that for, for two years, what the second thing that he was stewing over is that my dad didn't do anything about it. Yeah? So Absalom at this moment is vexed with David. Understand? What's with did, what, what? So he's going to rape your daughter and do nothing? Understand? Like, think about that. Mm. Think about what you'd mm. be feeling. Like, come on. You're king. Come on, what's going on? Yeah? Then you've run away and you've got a further three years 
stewing over the situation. I'm not at home for what? Because I gave my brother justice that my that my dad should have done. Yeah, three years you're stewing over this thing, and now he's come back. And what's the first thing that we see in verse twenty-eight? Foolishness. <laughs> but we also we also see we also see that David's brought his son back to Jerusalem, but he hasn't brought his son back. Do you get me? So it's almost like it's almost like the gesture is a little bit empty because you know this is like this is like this is like you doing something bad your parents kicking you out of the house eventually you get invited back but you're just staying in the house you're not necessarily back in the family you're just in the house you just got your old room but yeah can you imagine you're the you're, you're the prince right and mm. and in verse 25, right, it says, um, but in all Israel, there was no one to be as praised as much as Absalom for his beauty. For from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish on him, right? So this guy was good looking. No. Yeah? The crown prince. Sorry, Dad, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, before, even with all of that, how has man come home and for two years you've avoided your dad? You're in the yard for two years and you've not seen your dad. See, I'm sorry, Daniel, because it sounds like his dad's avoided him still. Either way, the two of you have not spoke. You've not spoke or seen each other for two years, and you're living under the same roof. What kind of madness is that? And then, no, 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 deep it. David calls him twice. David sends sends mum or whoever to get him twice, and man still doesn't come down. Like, isn't that a bit crazy? No, no, it's the it's the other way it's, around, right? Yeah, mm. it's Absalom sending for David. And oh, he sends for Joab, and he's like, "Look, bring oh. Joab." And Joab's like, uh, "Because he's because you understand, right? Joab is the king's guy. You know when you have mm. a guy, mm. you just have a guy that gets stuff done. Mm. Know what I mean, like he doesn't Come. even really. I mean, he's the commander of his army, but that's not really what Joab is. Joab's like the man that you go to when there's a problem. You understand? That's Joab, right? So Joab's like, "Look, the king don't want to see him. So if Absalom's calling me, I'm not going to him." Right, so Absalom's there two years calling for his father, and he's getting no response. That's impatience, that. Yeah, that's even that's even worse because as the the man of the house, the person who runs the house, like, shouldn't you be able to, you know, you can never you can never give him a, a you can never say look look this is the situation. There was no response. You know. And Absalom, we as I said in verse twenty-five, he was he was a good-looking guy. He was the prince of Israel. So I understand he's already thinking, well, do, do I need this? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's, it's, it's saying a lot, man. It was twenty-six. I can smell rebellion already. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Do I need this? Like, I'm I'm a prince. Like people praise me in the street. Like, what? Am I just be? What? I'm just sitting here for two years. What? What nothing, nothing's good. What there's no, there's no, you know, hi. I haven't seen you for three years. How you got? Like you're my dad. What's going on, right? It's interesting. So you can already, like... you can already surmise in 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 mm-hmm. in Absalom's mind, there's a madness going on already. Mm-hmm. And he's a celebrated individual, and so the fact that his dad, who he's, you know, he came back for, is is not involved in any of that. Surely it's taking a toll. 
listen to us 26. He's <laughs> talking about how he's got some next Rapunzel situation going on. And when he pulled his head, it was at every, at every year's end that he pulled it because the hair was heavy on him. Therefore, he pulled it. He waved the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. So, yo. Yo. Everyone, if anyone's selling their hair, yeah? Like, you get me? This guy right here. He's the one who, who was feeding his weave company. Do you understand? Mm. Like... Absalom was when when I don't think anywhere in the Bible we see a man described as from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish on him. We understand. Where's mm. the, the Bible calls people good looking or he you know he looked good or he's tall or he's handsome, but he, they said from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish. You know what's mad about this? The Bible doesn't even describe Jesus this way. Doesn't even. I mean, Mary must be nice. You know what I'm saying, right? Mm. So, so we understand that this, when we, and and what we'll see right now is we'll see we'll start to see more and more and more comparisons between this story and another story, right? And we'll, I'll see if you guys pick it up as we go along, right? But we're already seeing this kind of description for Absalom, and we see this kind of description for someone else. Yeah, so we'll start to start to see some comparisons as we go through. But um, but let's continue. From, so from verse 30. Therefore he said to, unto his servants, See Joab's field is near mine. And he had barley there, go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? How is it take a man to burn something down to get attention? To be fair, this makes perfect sense. You're not talking to me. You're my next door neighbor. You're not talking to me. Well, watch when I take a baseball bat to your car. I'm sure you'll come outside then. <laughs> so mad. And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come to, from Geshur? It had been good for... Oh, sorry. It had been good for me to have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. And if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him, and he had called for Absalom. He came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. Cool. Mm. So I think, ah, uh, happy ending, right? I said, said, look, why did you even call me here to sit down here for two years and not even not even talk to my father? My father called me. I was quite happy where I was, right? But you've called me here and you've let me sit here for two years, right? But finally, when he sees him, he bows down his face, David kisses him, everything is everything is okay, yeah? Everything is is back to normal. It's a show of show of forgiveness, everything's fine, right? But is it? Not a chance. Is it? Fine. Not a chance, right? These seeds, 
when we talk about sin, right, and we've we spoke about this last week in terms of when um when David's first like what David the, the first things that David did uh, right at the uh, at, at the start of chapter eleven, right? The fact that he didn't go um to war, the fact that his his eyes lingered and then we talked about them then noticing, then him looking, then him watching. You know, all of those things, small little things, seeds of sin that he could have stopped right there and then that wouldn't have caused all this drama. And we're seeing the same thing with here with Absalom, right? Although we could we can see in a lot of things maybe he's justified, there's this there's the starting the seed of I deserve better than this. I deserve better than this, right? And that seed right there grows into what we're about to read in the in the following chapters. Yeah. So let's continue. Chapter 15. And we're going to see it build as we go. So chapter 15. I'll read the first two verses. Um, and it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy with a controversy came to the king for judgment, that Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. Verse 3. And, Absal and Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any sue or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Um, verse 5, and so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Great. What just happened? He's basically undermined the king's rule and tried to get allies... And you have to ask, you have to ask, where was where was God telling Absalom to go do this? They, well, it wasn't there. So this is Absalom just going and sliding out, sliding in and trying to take the place of David as a judge over Israel. He's getting friends, he's getting allies, he's getting people to support him. This is what we call lobbying, yeah? This is, this is campaign right here, campaign 101. Man stood outside the gate, right? And he knew people were coming. So what would happen in them days was if you had a dispute, if you had an issue, like the woman came to talk to David about her son, if you had a really big issue that you need someone to judge over, you go to the king and he will give you um, the judgment of your situation, tell you what to do, tell you what should happen in the situation, everything should be sorted, right? Absolutely knew this, so he, he, got, he, he stood outside the gate and he let people, as they were coming in, he said, you know what? You don't need to go to the king. Come to me with your problem and I'll sort you out. Right? And he was nice, he was kind, as we know, he's good looking, and his judgment seemed good. And he started gaining this, this idea that actually 
David messed up when when his son killed. I'm uh, sorry, when his son um, raped his daughter. So really, is he a good judge? You know what? Let's go on. With, let's let's continue with Absalom. Yeah, and this was happening over and over, and and as 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 quickly as 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 happened, Absalom started gaining favor in Israel. Sorry, in Jerusalem, in Judah. Yeah. So. Ellen White says in Patriots and Prophets, the influence of David's listlessness and irresolution extended to his, um, to his subordinates. Negligence and delay characterized an administration of justice. Absalom artfully turned every cause of dissatisfaction to his own advantage. Absalom mingled with them and listened to their grievances, expressed sympathy with their sufferings and regretted um, at the insufficiency of the judge of the government. So, I told you we'd start to see some comparisons of another character we know in the Bible, right? So we have a good-looking, kind of higher-up person, right? And then they get a bit um, disgruntled with how the government's being run. So they go to the they go to the people of the area and they start talking about all this stuff about how the government isn't good enough what I can do is I can I can make it better for you um oh I hear oh that's really bad isn't it yeah you know what if I was in control then things would be so much better we could do things like so much better if I was leading where do we we we're starting to understand where I'm going with this yeah 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 cool all right let's continue verse seven Nail on the head, Naomi. Let's continue, let's continue. Verse seven. Sorry, um, where are we reading from? Sorry, came in late. Oh, second, fam- second Samuel 15, and we're just about to read verse seven and eight. Yeah. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. Okay, let's stop there a second. So, so did anyone see where it around. said, I'm sorry, did anyone see where it said after 40 years? Okay, that's what we need to talk about. All right. I'm just saying these guys had time. Like, there's just so much time that passes between everything that happens. This right here, it is disputed whether this is actually 40 years. So, there's an argument that there's a there's a because it doesn't make sense in terms of the the canon of the bible like there between this moment there wasn't 40 years more of david's reign to happen you know what i mean so it people think there's a mistranslation of the word four so it was actually four years instead of 40 years there's also an argument that is actual um it's actually symbolic of um of the completeness of time so there's a lot of times in the Bible where it has 40, like the 40 days that um, that it rained on the earth. There's 40 here, 40 there. There's 40 years the the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. There's a lot of 40s around. So the, those are the two um, interpretations of why it says 40 here, even though it can't have been 40 years given the story, right? So we we could, I would generally take that to mean it was actually four years, but yeah. 
so yeah, 40 years didn't pass as Absalom doing this in the gates of the city. Just just so we, we understand. So yeah, let's continue. Does everyone get that? Like, are there any other questions on that? It makes it makes sense that it might not be the whole time because it does sound a little bit yeah wild if you get me. But... Yeah. I looked at a few different interpretations as well as looking at the Greek. Um and the words for, for sorry, that's not the Greek, the Hebrew. Um, and the words for 40 and 4 are quite similar. So you could maybe it was a mistranslation, um, but also it could just be the fact that it's talking about um vows and ceremonial stuff so perhaps he was just trying to illustrate the completeness of what they were doing I don't know but yeah generally in the canon of scripture it couldn't have been 40 years between verse 6 and verse 7 but yeah let's continue verse 8 for thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Geshit in Syria saying if the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem then I will serve the Lord verse 9 yeah I can see and the king said unto him go in peace so he arose and went to Hebron verse 10 And Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And when Absalom went two hundred and with Absalom went two hundred men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for a Ahithophel. The, the Gilanite, David's counsellor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. Cool. So what's just happened? Um, Absalom's moved to a different part of the country to um, fulfil his vow. Yeah. which is something they did back then. Um, and he's taken a significant amount, number of people with him. So it's almost like he's got a fighting force. Although, to be honest, we see that when it says that they went in their simplicity, they didn't know that they were, they didn't know what they were doing. They yeah. were just going with Absalom. Um, but Absalom purposefully sent out people that, you know, after you hear this sound, after you hear the sound of the trumpet, let people know that I reign, that I'm king in Hebron. So, Absalom has decided to anoint himself king. That's basically what's just happened. So he's sent spies out in Israel and he's starting to gain himself more popularity and more um, favour in terms of the people of Israel. And he's now getting people together so that he can go take the city. Right, go take Jerusalem, go kill his dad, and then it's done. So we understand before, right? The end of um chapter 14, we see David kiss Absalom, he bows himself down, we think everything's cool. 
But Absalom's mind, right? Even though he does that, he's thinking, yeah, this, this ain't over. We ain't finished here. You're not supposed to be king. And now throughout chapter 15, slowly but surely, let's say it was four years, he's been slowly galvanizing people, slowly sending out people around Israel, slowly building up favor, slowly um, growing seeds of discontent with, with David and his rule. Um, but all this time, he has not heard anything from God. God hasn't anointed him. There was no Samuel coming up to um, him like Samuel came up to David to say, look, you're going to be the next king. None of that. Absalom was just like, look, I've had enough. We're doing it. But to be um, yeah, go ahead. thinking about this, Reese, from the start to where we are now, it's been like, what, 11 or 12 years, really? Yeah. He's hated his dad for that long. Is is bound to come to a head soon. I mean, he done well to hold it past three years. I don't think I would. <laughs> Agreed. What do you guys think is the um is the practical application to us, like in the, given Absalom and David scenario here? I think this is the bit where it's like when you see the seeds of evil, you crush them. For sure, yeah. But in terms of like, let's be more specific. I I don't know why I'm wanting to, because this is a family situation. But I I almost want to say that it's uh, that this could be like a church situation, in terms mm. of like we believe this, we believe this. Well, guess what? We started a church on the other side of town. You're not invited. Um, but yeah. Especially, especially that part where the um, does it say? Does it say? Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Does it say that they went and started doing sacrifices? Because this is this is a if there's a part of this where it says that, then this is a serious thing because stuff always goes down when people take it. Well, when when God's people take it into their own hands to just decide, oh, we're gonna start doing sacrifices now. God's constant thing is who asked you, I've told you that I want this, I told you that I want this. And then people go around and that they you know, it's even we 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 even saw this with Gideon recently. Mm. Um but for people to actually like step in and be like, I'm gonna be the guy now, I'm gonna be the priest, I'm gonna be that person, it's a very dangerous thing. Very dangerous. I think um, ahead, sometimes um I don't know how to say, it, but obviously we all in our obviously in God's eyes, sin is sin, whether you rape someone or whether you steal someone. But obviously, in our eyes, we kind of categorize it as in this is the worst, this is the the least worst. You know, you can lie, but you can't you can't kill someone, for example. So we look at like someone who's killed someone very differently to someone who's lied to someone. And obviously, in this case, he still remembers what his dad has done and like when we bring it to ourselves, God forgives people, but sometimes we we still remember what they've done. We still like look at them sideways. We still do X, Y, Z. And then we start to kind of make them feel bad about it. But at the end of the day, like we need to look at ourselves as well. Like we've done some things that people might know or people might not know, but God still loves us. So why are we taking it out on other people too? I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but like, yeah. We should be <laughs> yeah. more gracious. Yeah, obviously, it's easier said than done because 
of obviously what his dad what his brother um the dad's son did is really bad but to him he can't see why his dad hasn't done anything about it. For sure. Anyone else want to chime in? I was just going to say, it feels like, you know, David's, he's, David had done his job. A lot of this could have been avoided. It's like, you see from Abstin's point of view that obviously yeah, he kisses him at the end of the thing, but what do you have to do to get there? He spent two years calling for him, didn't come. The only reason he got his attention was by burning down the fields. And then now you want to kiss him on the head. Like, it doesn't, doesn't feel sincere. You're vexed, though, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't feel sincere enough. Because what is this? What is a kiss on my forehead after all the stress I've been through when it was justified for me to go chef up my brother because of what he's done? Yeah. I think there should have been like a conversation instead of a kiss. Like, let's talk about why this has happened for the past two or three years, why we haven't spoken to each other. But you just thought a kiss would just do it. Do it. Well, I guess princes are raised differently, innit? Like, yeah. Mm. But still, I, mean, like, I can't. Was was the kiss supposed to say? Yeah, I mean, we don't know if there was a conversation or not, but we do know it definitely wasn't a um a deep, heartfelt <laughs> reconciliation. We know it was a surface look. Ah, uh, we're all happy now, we're all happy families again. But really, Absalom walked away from that thinking, yeah, we're going to mm. sort we're, something, something needs to change up in here. Right, mm. and this is this is this is my application, right? So, for a long time, right, I was um, I was very what's the word? Frustrated. I was very frustrated with church for a number of reasons, right? And although some of those just um, or some although some of those frustrations could be justified. Same way Absalom's frustrations could have been justified. You know, he was right to feel upset that the king didn't do anything for his sister. He was right to feel upset that he had to be banished for three years. He was right to be upset that he, even though he got called back, the king didn't see him for two years. So all of this is happening. He's right to be upset. But where he went overboard is that his pride told him that he could make things better. And often, like, what happened with me is that I saw how the church was, that I, I wasn't being satisfied by X, Y, or Z in church. And I was like, right, this is what needs to be, this is what needs to change. This is what I need to do. And if it's not changing, then let, let's go set up our new thing and let's do it ourselves, you know? And although I've, my frustrations may have been justified, the way in which you deal with those, justi- um, those frustrations matters a lot. As, as Nathan said, it does talk about um, while they offered sacrifices, like he, God didn't anoint him. God didn't tell him to do anything. If he had just taken his frustrations to God, God would have told him what he should have done and what he shouldn't have done. But instead he went, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to be king now. You know, Understand the kingship was not, was not set up by man. The kingship was set up by God. God's prophet told them who was going to be the king. God's prophet told them who's going to be the next king. Understand the church is God's church. This is you may a big... be frustrated by this or that point, but the church is still God's church. You didn't set up the church. I didn't set up the church. Yeah? The church is God's. We, the church is supposed to be God's wife, and he is the husband. Understand. We talked about um, leadership and all that. Understand God is the hus- like God is the one who, who controls this thing. So it's not for us to be like, right, well, as, as Nathan said, right, I'm going to the other side and setting up my own thing. 
you kind of set up your own thing. As soon as you thought to yourself, I'm setting up my own thing, you're, you've, it, it's, it's, you've gone past the place where you should have been. We understand. We have, I have two hands up, so go ahead. Um, go, go, um, S. Daly. Um, I'm assuming that might be Michael, but it could be part of the no, Daly family. So it's Michael's mum. Oh, it's Michael's mum. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. yeah, I have been really blessed by the recordings, and thank you for the link to Spotify because I'm backtracking with all my my listening. Um, right. There is there are things in life that we have to accept that God is in control. I think mm -hmm. that for Absalom, um, Absalom, to see such depravity not dealt with, he felt that revenge is mine. But God has policies that he likes to give each person an opportunity to be redeemed. Now, David, in sitting still and not asking God for counsel to how to deal with his family matters allowed this spirit of revenge to to build up but at the end of the day the Lord said revenge is mine whether or not revenge happens in straight away or it takes 10 years God is not sleeping on the matter and we need to know that when God's heart is moved in our situation sometimes whilst you're waiting for revenge on that person God has to deal with something in your heart and that was the issue with Absalom if Absalom had gone to God God would have showed him what his issues were that he could then deal with and that might have won his father over but instead, it caused such anarchy. And I, every time I hear this um, story, I think revenge is not sweet. Revenge always has a, a ramification. For sure, for sure. Thank you. Daniel? On my part, I was thinking in a totally different thing. I was thinking, your point is so legit. What, hap what happens if man just prayed? We may have never got Solomon. Like if man, had, if David had just prayed, you know, if Absalom, if Absalom had actually just gone and prayed about this whole situation, oh, then he could have been the next king. Is that yeah, what you're saying? You get, you yeah, get yeah, the madness yeah. of that whole situation. I was, I'm not. I think I'm not might have been the firstborn or whatever. But however the order goes, Absalom was still pretty high up there. Solomon was not even born at this point. Like man just had to pray about it and ask for God's leadership, which he probably would have got. For sure. For sure. Well, I'm just going to be very quick in saying this, but isn't this the whole story of our lives? You know, God is trying to give us promises. God is trying to give us everything. You know, we see those verses in the Bible, those promises that say, you know, for instance, that one, if my people which are called by my name will humble, them, must humble themselves and pray and see my face, then I will hear from heaven and, um, you know, ensure I will prosper them. And yet we keep going around in circles and doing our things and we always end up <laughs> coming back to God like, yeah, Lord, I was wrong and you were right. Help me. And it's just the way that we could have progressed, the way that our lives could be spiritually successful. Um, mm. If we if we just stick to it, if, if we just stuck with God. 
but we all want to just do what we want to do. And it's, you know, it, um, what is our song? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Um, or what things we often forfeit. and know what needless pains we bear just because we're trying to go around in circles, doing all these cycles um, consistently and continually. And I'm not going to lie, I've been going through that recently. But it's just kind of like, sometimes it's like a learning curve. Nathan, when will you learn? Just stick with God and let his will be done rather than just trying to force your will and then wondering why things are messing up. For sure. For sure. You know, it's, you know, it's mad. For, for a season, Absalom must be thinking, this is working. For a season, Absalom must be thinking, people, people like me. What's going on? I'm always, people are always saying I'm good looking. People say I'm a great leader. Like, people are goading me on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started to believe his own story. Yeah, yeah, I can be king. Yeah, I'm better than David. Uh, yeah. God is on my side, of course, yeah. And, and, and continue with his foolishness. And it's so easy to fall into that trap when you have, like, those people around you. You're, you're eating your own your own sauce. And and this is where Absalom is finding himself. And it's, it's not a good road to continue down, as we're going to find out by the end. Okay, so let's continue um, verse 13, chapter 15, 13. Thirteen. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly and overtake us and bring ruin on us and put our city to the sword. The king's official answered officials answered him the servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses the king set out with his entire household following him but he left 10 concubines 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 to the to take care of the palace so the king set out with with all the people following him and they halted to the edge of the city cool all right so why do you why do you think David ran? Because understand right, we read um, in the period where um, Saul was um, trying to find David, and then after which David became king. David has actually never lost a battle. David has never lost. He's never seen defeat in battle so far. Yeah. And the people who are with David aren't jokers, yeah. Joab and these the mighty men of David, then they they don't mess around, yeah. The stories of where four of them would fight through the Philistine camp to collect water, to get a cup of water and fight all the way back, yeah. These 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 warriors that David has with him, they're they're they're, they're not they're not jokers. So understand when when David runs. Why do you think? Why why are we thinking David's running here? In my mind, it's just David didn't want the conflict. I feel like David made a valid choice not to 
not to not to stay and fight. And it does make me wonder if it was the right one because if God was with David, then like, why was he running? I think for me, David's um, mindset was civil war isn't good for nobody. Civil war is not good for anybody. So at this point, if there's a big battle and we're fighting in the middle of Israel, then people's houses are going to get burned, like people are going to die. It's really, it's really doesn't need to happen here. So David took his pride and went, you know what? It's fine. Let him have, let him have the capital. And he just took himself and he was like, come on, let's go. And he just, and even though I feel like he knew he could have, he could have done bits, he was like, it's not right to do it here. So we're starting to see like the the difference in mindset between Absalom and David at this point. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna jump in the story to um verse 31. All right, so chapter 15, verse 31. And what happens in between this time is that as um David and his servants and his men and his wives and all the rest of his whole household is leaving. Um, they're about to take the ark with them but instead of taking the ark with them David says you know what actually um, don't, don't don't take the ark here if God is with me he's with me leave the ark where it is and we, we know from before um, previous stories that when you know people have taken the ark where they shouldn't have done you know bad things happen so David just said look keep the ark safe in Israel if God is with me we'll be fine so they left the ark there. He actually sends um, someone back with the ark. Um, and he, and then they continue by themselves. And then we, we, we arrive back in, um, in verse 31. You say chapter 15, verse 31? Yeah. Okay. Um, And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Cool, let's stop there. Who's Ahithophel? I don't know who Ahithophel is. Ahithophel is supposed to be my man's... Verse 12. Like his wisdom giver. Yeah. Verse 12, it says, Ahithophel, the Gilanite was David's counsellor from his city. Cool, right. So Ahithophel had this, um, had this, um, what's the word, reputation for being wise. Yeah? Ahithophel was this guy where it was like, if if Hithophel's on the wrong side of this battle right here, it could get very sideways for us. That's how strong Hithophel's wisdom was. It was almost like God spoke through Hithophel. Yeah. So David hears, and David's obviously that's David's right counselor. David's been you know doing bits with Hithophel for a long time. Hithophel for a long time, so he knows what he's capable of. So when he hears Hithophel is now with the conspirators, David's like ah. Oh. <laughs> This could get a bit sticky. God, please just 
somehow confused what Ahithophel is talking about because if Ahithophel is coming strong, it's it's gonna be a bit it's gonna be a bit hard for us, right? But yeah, sorry. Let's continue. Just wanted us to, to know who Ahithophel was. In fact, um, let's jump to um, let's let's jump to chapter sixteen, verse five. Okay, take, pick up the story from there. So David has run a bit off, um, and and he's he's come to um, a man called Shimei or Shimi. Shimei. Um, so let's so, let's read from verse five. Second Samuel sixteen verse five. Yeah. And when David came to Bahurim, behold, there thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cast still as he came, and he cast stones at David, and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei, when he had when he cursed, "Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man." Okay, great. Right, so. He's coming with the smoke. Shimei, yeah, Shimei is coming with smoke, right? Shimei is actually a follower of Saul. Mm, back you can in the see day. that by the way you speak. Yeah, yeah, for sure, mm. right? He's actually a, he's a brethren of Saul. In fact, he comes from the place where Saul came from. Yeah. So, so he's now cursing David, saying, "Look, you stole the kingdom from David, which David didn't steal any kingdom from from Saul." Um, David actually refrained from killing Saul and saying, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed and all the rest of it. And now this guy has come out cursing and saying, you stole the kingdom from Saul. He says he's a bloody man, suggesting that he like killed Saul to, to, take, the, um, to take the kingdom, blood used in the literal sense. Um, and he's saying, yeah, this is what you get. This is what you get for stealing the kingdom. Now your son's going to steal it from you. Ha 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 ha. Right? And his men with him are like, look, we need to, let's just go quiet this guy. Let's go kill him. Let's go deal with him. Um, let's let's. Uh, I, 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 I'm down hearing this 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 guy's voice in my ear. Yeah, let's 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 see what um, David said. Verse eleven. Eleven. Chapter sixteen. Okay. Um, 11 Joke 16 um, David then said to Abishai and all his officials my son my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me how much more than this Benjamite leave him alone let him curse for the Lord has told him to it may be that the Lord will look upon the Upon my misery and restore to me his confident blessing instead of his curse today. 
So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei, Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. Um, the king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted and there he refreshed him. So. Cool. Alright, so what, what was David's response? Let him do his thing. Let him do his thing, why? It's interesting because David seems to believe that God has told Shimei, Shimei to do this foolishness. That, you know, he seems to believe that Shimei has been inspired of God to cuss him out. It's almost, we can get, we can get from this, right, that David... We can understand David's mindset at this point. David is his, it's almost like he's lived a long life. We get it. He's lived a long life at this point. Not going through Goliath, then going through the 40, no, sorry, not 40, 20 years of Saul chasing him. And he, he, he didn't do anything to deserve that. He, he, he was quite like, he did everything faithfully. He didn't t- say anything about Saul. He didn't say he's going to take over the kingdom, nothing. Yeah, he spent 20 years being chased through hill and high water to um, to stay away from Saul trying to kill him for no reason. After that 20 years, he becomes king, right? And the first few years are great, but then he does this thing with Bathsheba. And now it's just, again, years of just torment over his sin, his children doing foolishness, his own son now wants to take the throne. David has gone through a hard life at this point. And he's kind of thinking, oh, you know what, if this is if if this is what I need, if this is what it is, if this is what God is telling me, then you know, maybe through this I'll get a blessing. Because this is this is David is almost like if all I get is this guy shouting at me, I've gone through worse. It's calm. Let him do what he's gonna do. Daniel, is your hand still up or, or is this from, is that from last time? I see them, man. Oh, okay, it's not that. Okay, cool, cool. All right, cool. So David is now, he's tired. His people have just been running. They weren't prepared, right? So they're, they're now, um, they're weary and they kind of want to refresh themselves. So while they're weary and they want to refresh themselves, we come to uh, that that council of, Ahith- um, of Ahithophel, right? So we're going to jump over to um, chapter 17 and we're going to hear about Ahithophel and his council. Yeah. But before, in fact, before we read that, let let me just tell you um, what happens at the end of this chapter. David sends um, a man called Hashai, right, to um, go and kind of influence influence um, Absalom. So he's like, go and somehow confound Ahithophel's. Um, advice no. to Absalom yeah so somehow mess it up because I know his first coming with smoke so somehow do something get gain Absalom's trust and somehow do something to make sure that they're not going to come for us so let's let's read out that story for chapter 17 from the beginning Oh uh, yeah, chapter one, and um, that's one, chapter twenty. Okay, it says, 
Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out twelve thousand men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee. And I will smite the king only, and I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned. So all the people shall be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. What do you guys think about this? Um, about, about this? About this? It's interesting because before it didn't, I was thinking of it as a Hifafel as some type of, you know, some side man, old man counsellor. You get me? Um, so he's described as the king's counsellor, but Ahithophel's come in with the smoke in terms of like, yo, come, let me take, let me take an army and let me go and get back David. Um, let me go and kill David. And so it's interesting because before it wasn't necessarily describing Ahithophel as a man of war. Mm. You know, it's mad, right? This is what Ellen White says. It says, this, this plan was approved by the king's counsellors. Had it been followed, David surely would have been slain unless the Lord had directly interposed to save him. But the wisdom um, higher than that of the renowned Ahithophel was directing events. So understand, right? These four verses, if, 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 if Absalom said, yeah, Ahithophel, go do your business, David would have been killed. Unless God directly kind of came down and, and stopped the army from doing anything, David's about, it's about over for David, yeah? It's about over, it's going to be finished, yeah? But then we, we're going to continue verse five. Um, Sister Daly, you, you have your hand up again. You, you, you need to know the background of this guy. He was Bathsheba's grandfather. So he has yes. been sitting as an advisor for David, he knows how David th thinks. He knows if David sneezes, this is gonna be an issue. So he understood that if he did what he did, it would have reduced the amount of bloodshed, but most of all, he would have revenged all that happened to his granddaughter under David's yes. hands. Agreed, I'm happy you brought that up. Um, because Ahithophel's almost taken this opportunity to be like, you killed my old son-in-law, you messed up their family, you uh, did X, Y, Z, now this is my opportunity. I get to get to a little bit of revenge, I can help your son for you, and um, it will, all will be well. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up, yeah. Um, so yes, verse um, five. Um, five. Yeah, chapter seventeen, verse five. Five. But Absalom, Absalom said, "Summon also Hashai the Akite, so we can hear what he has to say as well." When Hashai came to him, Absalom said, "Hephatel, Hephatel, said he has given this advice. Should we do what he says? If not." Give us your opinion. Ashai replied to Absalom, the advice of Hivatel has given is not good this time. 
You know your father and his men. Their fight is as fierce as the wild bear robbed of her cubs. Besides, besides, your father is, is an experienced fighter. He will not spend the night with the troops. Even now, even now he is hidden in a cave. He is hidden in a cave or some other place. If he should attack your troops first, whoever hears about it will say, um, there has been a slaughter. Whoever, whoever hears about it will say, there has been a, slot, a slaughter among us, among the troops who follow up to them. Okay. Um, okay, we can stop there. So basically, what, what, what do you think, um, sorry, um, Hashai's uh, message was is he not he's not fully confident with the advice he was given by the is it the advisors basically cool, right so he's like doesn't know what he's talking about yeah and Hashai was sent by David yeah Hashai is David's servant so he's going there to just to just um, throw some spanners in the works of Ahithophel's advice, yeah? So, so um, he says, look, you don't remember when Saul was trying to catch David? Like, not only has he got loads of great warriors with him, but also David likes to hide in, like, caves and mountains and stuff. So Saul couldn't find him in all those 20 years. What do you think? You're not going to find him if you should do this. What you should do is you should chill, gain your control, get more, more men, get the men of Israel to come, um, take your time, and then we'll go out and, and defeat David in a big battle. And Absalom, he ate that up. He was like, yep, okay, we're not going to see you. We're going <laughs> to go with um, Hashai's advice, and we're not going to do that, yeah? And somehow... David escaped because David, as we read in verse 14, was tired and weary. So if they had actually had come and and gone to fight David at this point, as Ellen White said, he likely would have been killed unless God intervened directly. However, Hashai did his job and and he he um he changed the, the um Absalom's plan. So at this point, Absalom's got all his people together. And they're going out and they want to um, fight David, right? So we're going to jump to chapter 18 um, and we're going to read about this battle. Now understand, remember what I said, David's men know war. Yeah, this is, these, these, these men are no joke. This is why David was, was told that he couldn't build the, um, couldn't build the temple. He, was, he wanted to re really build the temple. He wanted to make it nice, but God was like, no, 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 no. You, you've seen too much battle. You're not you're not ready for that. Your son will do that. The next king will do that. But you you can't do that. So so just because of this, David knew about war. He knew about battle. His men knew about war. He knew about battle. So and as we said, he had never lost a battle. Yeah. So we're about to see what what comes. Chapter eighteen. Verse 1, chapter 18, verse 1. 
And David numbered the people that were with him and sent captains of and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab and a third part of the people and, the, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittai the Gittites. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. So the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us, neither if half of us die, will they care for us. But now thou art worth ten thousand of us, therefore now it is better for thou succor um, us out of the city. And the king said unto them, What steameth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. Verse 5. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. Verse 6. So the people went out into the fields of battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. Um, seven. Um, when chapter 18, right? 18, yeah. There Israel's troops were routed by David's men, and the casualties that day were a great 20,000 men. The battle spread over out over the whole countryside, and the forest swallowed up more men than up more men that day than by sword. Cool. No, absolutely. Okay. So, what, so, so let's just recap. What, what just happened there? Mm-hmm. We followed. What just happened? It was a great battle. There's a battle, right? So Absalom's army is coming. David's army is coming. They told David what? David was about to ride out with them. And what did they tell him? Um, they told him to stay back a bit. Told him to stay back. Look, if 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 we have to run away, they'll leave us. They're not going to chase after us and kill us. But if you, uh, but if you're here, there's going to be an issue. Yeah. So you just stay back. Like, because you're really what they want. So you just chill here. We'll go out and we'll, we'll win the battle for you. So then David says, yeah, that's fine. And then what happens with the battle? This is really interesting, this. Um, this, this idea that when David fled, Absalom had Israel, if you get me. Because obviously, you know, we think of David. David's an Israelite. David, you know. And yet, when David 
gets, I guess, gets ousted, um, gets chased out by Absalom. Um, I guess all of that authority and all of that power really did go straight to Absalom. There was no fighting it because David had left. And it's like David had conceded the throne. Um, but yeah, David's people won. That's what happened. What did David say as an instruction as the people left him? Um, he asked them to deal gently with Absalom because it wasn't... It's interesting because for everything that Absalom wanted to do, it wasn't hate from David's side. What's mad, right, is that say you're going out to war, yeah? You're going out to war. You're looking from from man to the right of you, man to the left of you, and thinking, boy, we may not make it back. That's what war is, yeah? We may not make it back from this. This could be it. And you have one target. There's a rebellion going on, and the guy who's controlling the rebellion is the one you have to kill. That's the that's who we need to get. And David, as they're leaving, says, actually, yeah, don't kill Absalom. They're probably like, uh, <laughs> I think you got the wrong end of the stick here, David. I think, <laughs> I think the, point, the, the whole point of us going here is so that we can, we can do with Absalom. You're telling us what to do with Absalom, right? Mm. And so you can almost think in their mind that they're already conflicted. However, as I said, David's men are, are men of war. So they go fight in this woods. Absalom's men are not men of war. So it, the, the Bible says in verse um, 8, more people, and they're generally talking about Absalom's soldiers, more people, more men died from the woods than they did from the sword. That means they I don't know, they had horses and they're, they're just running into trees and branches. With, with, <laughs> they weren't ready. I understand. Mm. They weren't ready for it. More men died from the woods <laughs> than from the sword. 20,000 men died. How can, te- how can more than 10,000 people die from riding in the woods? You understand? <laughs> this is what just I happened. I, I, guess, I guess they hadn't been riding before. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. These are newbies. David's men were happy with the woods. Good with the woods. <laughs> Absalom's men, Absalom's men were, were, weren't good with the woods. Yeah. So, Damn. inevitably, we reached verse nine. But yeah, sorry, Nathan, do you want you want to say something else? No, no, no. I'll just start reading from boys of verse nine. Okay. Yeah. First nine. Okay. And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule was under him, and the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. This is an elf. I'm sorry. This is an elf. What God does to people with pride? Oh. Oh. You can, quick question, you can imagine quick walking question. around this. Guys, guys, quick, I'm quick, quick, quick question. question. Here because I remember one day, this was not too long ago, this is within the last two weeks, I was walking and I went for a little walk and there's a bit near... You did, not get, you did not get your head stuck in the tree, did you? My hair got stuck. And it's because you're walking and you're how? not about it. And next second, you get yanked back by this force that... Why? It just hurts your head, man. So just know this man was in a lot of pain. 
I, I guess I, I guess there, are that's advantages. Good. There, there are advantages for me not having long hair. I guess <laughs> you get me. <laughs> See, I'm I'm here thinking is you know it must you know, probably the same thing as when you're working past that and your clothes get caught and you get taken out. But but this is that this is this is a madness. This is the way that God has fully got nature involved in their victory. Um. Obviously, this is this is just what God does. But I was going to ask the question. I was just going to ask is: Was David wrong to tell them to deal gently with Absalom? This is kind of like David, I guess, trying to save his son's life. Was David wrong to tell them to do that? I don't think he was wrong. I think what it does. I think the point of it was, um, especially as it is recorded, is to show us an example of God's love for us. And so we can see Absalom here. Not only does he not like his father, not only does he feel like his father is um, is not doing things the way they should be done, and you know, he feels resentment towards him and all this, but he's gone so far to actually want his father dead. This is how far the rebellion has come, yeah? And even after all of that, David still loves him so much. It would have been easy for David to say, look, kill him. It's time for Absalom to go. Given him, I gave him a chance last time. But here we see how God treats us. It says, while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died. Understand? And so that's how I kind of see this as like, it shows like how deep and how far and how kind of crazy the love of God is. Yes, Sister Daly. Um, I found it quite intriguing that he rode a mule because normally donkeys are ridden by people who are in authority, like kings. Normally a donkey is given to a person to ride as a way of indicating they're the, the next successor to the throne. So mm. you can see that with the mule, it being a crossover, I don't even know what lessons we can learn from that, but it was just intriguing. Yeah, and in fact, there are, um, there are Jesus... Um, similarities there as well because he's being hung up by a tree no less but um all i can say is if there was ever a humbling experience where you feel like you're you're ready to lead a country you're trying to take over you're trying to be a man of battle and a man of war and you're trying to do all these things and you're you're in the middle of the battle and a servant of your opposition comes around the corner and sees you tangled around in a tree hanging from your hair, not able to do anything. Like, if there was ever a lesson <laughs> to be learned, it would be right in that moment. Yeah? Let's continue. Um, verse... Uh, 10. Or verse 11. Go for verse 11. And Job said unto the man that told him, and, be and behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him there to be the to the ground? 
and I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, yet would I not put forth mine hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee, and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. This is loud. Um, it's, it's, I'm getting vibes of remember when um, Saul was going after David and David turned around like, I can't touch the king's anointed. I, I'm kind of getting vibes of that, but obviously it's completely different because Absalom isn't the, isn't the Lord's anointed. Um, and so it's more so just out of respect for the Lord's anointed, aka David, where they wouldn't do this thing. And this guy's obviously showing his loyalty to David by standing by and not going and murdering Absalom. But as we're about to see, um, Job doesn't Joab doesn't think like that. <laughs> Job doesn't feel like that at all. Verse, um, verse 13. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life, for there is no matter hid from the king. And now um, thyself wouldest have set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bear Joab's, arm, um, bear Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing after Israel, for Joab held back the people. You know what's interesting? I always thought that it was Joel, it was Joab that kind of like landed the killing blow, if you get me. But I'm just reading this now, and it's saying that he took three darts, so not even necessarily big daggers or anything, and put them through um, Absalom's heart. Um, I'm not sure how you take I'm three getting, darts I'm to getting, the heart I'm getting, and say a lie. Yeah, I'm getting TV show vibes from this. Um, but it's a little bit it's a little bit mad because, you know, Joab is obviously going against David's wishes here. Um, you know, part of me thinks he's going up to Absalom. He's getting, obviously, he's getting his armor bearers to actually kill him. But he's going up to Absalom and stabbing him with darts for what? For clouts? He's probably going and screaming, this is for burning my field or something like that. But, <laughs> but... I think I think the good, I think you, you asked the question before about whether um, killing Absalom was a, uh, not telling the people not to kill Absalom was, was a bad or a good thing. I think in a, in a sense, um, David again was not being what he needed to be as a king. Um, because ultimately, them not killing Absalom put all of their lives in danger. It meant that the war had to continue. It meant that, you know, all of this had to had to continue. This guy's still still going to be rebellious after you catch him. Like, what, what do you do with him? What, you're just going to imprison him for the rest of his life? I don't, like, there needs to be a reason why all of these men were dying and putting their lives at risk. So for you to send them out saying, actually, don't kill the man you're, you're going out to kill was was a bit ridiculous so joab joab knowing he was he's a man of war he knows what he needs to do he's like look we're just gonna i'm just gonna do this for david because david is having a bit of a hard time 
And um, in that, it meant that all of the other people of Israel could stop fighting. And I think that was a wise thing on Joab's part. Joab's part, Joab in the Bible, in, in this book, is not crowned in great moral, um, is not a great moral person to look at and be like, oh, I want to be like Joab. But in this moment, I think his, his actions were justified. Um, so if we, the last bit of the story, right, um, we're going to actually jump to just the last few bits of chapter 19. But what happens is um, after Absalom dies, this is now the third son of David that has died. So the baby that he has with Bathsheba dies. Amnon, his first son, dies. And now Absalom, his second son, dies. And if we remember, when David heard that, that parable of the two shepherds with the lambs, he said that he has to repay him back fourfold. And so we have seen three of the fourfold of his sons that have died now. Yeah. Who, and who so, was the third? so we have who was the, the, the son of Bathsheba. So the baby. That, was that, that the baby right that was like... born? They were like all mourning, and then once the exactly. baby died, David stopped. Mourning. Okay, yeah, yeah, that was one. Amnon was the second one, and mm-hmm. Absalom now the third. Yeah, and all of this happened again because David decided to um to to entertain sin, and we need to understand how deep and how um corrupting sin is. If David had just controlled himself then, all of what has happened over the next would have been almost 20 years. Wouldn't have happened. But because he did that and because of the repercussions that followed, because now he couldn't be the the judge he needed to be, because he was played by guilt and his family was here, there and everywhere, it just wouldn't have happened if he had just kept his skin quiet and gone to war like he should have done, or at least not um, lusted after Bathsheba. Yeah? And so what happens is Absalom, after Absalom dies, the news comes to David, and David is crying loud. Yeah? So the people have just won a battle, yeah? And everyone's happy. And you hear the king in the back, like almost in the back room, crying loud. Yeah, David's not no, even no. trying to. He's this not is, even this, trying this, to this is that. It. This is. I'm sorry for interrupting. This is yeah, that okay. disruptive crying. This is that. This is that you're having church. You're just. You know. You're just. You're, you're just coming off the special item. So a pastor's getting up to preach, and just someone start building in the conversation. The congregation, everything have to stop. This is like the people are trying to celebrate. Battle has been won. You know, if this was in Jerusalem, there'd be the women out there singing. Joab has slain his stuff, you know, like, yeah, and all of this. But David's bullying because obviously his son has been killed. Yeah, and so Joab has to come and save the day again. So let's read um, just from verse um, one. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people, for the people heard say that day. For the people, heard say that day, 
how the king was grieved for his son. And the people get them by stealth that day into the city, as people being ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is interesting. This is just that thing that I think Greece has said multiple times. Just this whole thing of like the king sets the heartbeat for the nation. So when the king does something wrong, it's almost like they've led the nation to sin. When the king is angry, when the king is happy, you know, king is like the nation's energy. And so obviously this time it just didn't match to the point where the people actually left him and went back to their city. It's it's crazy to think, right? We we were, I remember when we started this whole Kings of Israel series, and it was um, I think was it Daniel who asked, um, oh, would would a king always be a bad thing? Would having a king instead of having God or having a prophet or a judge or whatever it was, would that always be a bad thing? And although David is probably one of the best kings that Israel had we can see that even with what is what God calls a man after his own heart, still Israel has gone through a civil war. They've gone through all sorts of nonsense. They've been fighting themselves in the middle of woods. Like there's been espionage, there's been rape, there's been murder, there's been like, understand where God said that he was grieved when the people asked for a king. It, it, there was a reason, and this and this this reign of kings that we're going to go through doesn't end well. And so you know, the question is: Is a king always bad? In this case, yes, because what you're doing is you're 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 putting we they put their trust in someone human instead of and and all of their choices and all of their mistakes were were felt by all of the country. When actually, if they just kept the skin quiet and 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 listened to Samuel and and listened to God, then you know they would be much better for it. Yeah, but yeah, let's continue. Um, just up to verse seven. Okay. Um, and Joab came into the house of the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life and the lives of thy sons and thy daughters and the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceived that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now therefore arise, go forth and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. And that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. Yeah, so that's 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 a warning, right? Job wasn't messing around. And verse eight says, "Then the king arose, sat at the gate, and told all the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate, 
and all the people who came before the king of Israel had fled every man to his tent. And basically then David kind of brings everyone back, says, guys, well done. Thank you for winning the war for me or the battle for me. And they will go back to Israel, to Jerusalem. And that is kind of going to be the end of our David section um, of our studies, right? Um, just a question before we end. What what do you think is the the overarching lesson of David's life? That um, one sin always like, leads to another, which leads to another, which just ends up in something bad like happening at the end. An important point. Anyone else? It's this idea that when you compromise yourself, you know, I'm going to agree with, I think that was much of it, just made that point. Um, but it's almost like, yeah, when you compromise yourself, you just set up, so you, you set up a bad future. Because um, all of these things happened, obviously, as a re- result of his um, affair and taking of Bathsheba. And it's just this idea that God wanted to be there using David powerfully. Imagine if David was the king of Israel with a perfect record. Imagine if David was the king that proved to us that kings in Israel can actually stay pure and stay connected to God and keep the country connected to God. You know, when God, when God, when God said it was okay for them to have a king, when God, when God, um, allowed them to have one he wanted it he wanted the king to be something that would bring his people and reconcile his people to himself but time and again we see and we're going to see it throughout the rest of the old testament that when israel have kings when the king turns away from god it's a wrap for the whole country and when the king turns to god it's a lot harder sometimes to undo the damage that has been done and it's the same for us when we when we stay with god you know it it's good for us but sometimes even with david and bathsheba when he's on the roof he sees her bathing you know there's sometimes where the things that we want to do are not in line with what god wants us to do and it's a case of can we actually manage to nip sin in the bud as it as as it seems, and kind of like just turn away and do a Joseph, where where we kind of like remove ourselves from the situation and we 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 call upon God, because you know God turns around and tells us that He'll make a, a a way of escape. But do we? I know I'm talking a lot now, but it's just this whole idea of like God wants to be invited into the situations in our lives. And when there's a situation, when there's something we're going through, a lot of the times, if I'm staring a sin in the face, what, what I'm actually kind of trying to do is tell myself, oh, Nathan, it's okay. You had to do it. Oh, Nathan, it's okay. You can, like, any other time you can go to God, any other time you can avoid this. But now, now just, just go ahead and do it because, you know, it's almost like, you know, this is that whole thing of, like, knowing the truth but denying the power. Um, so yeah, I'm not trying to waffle too much, but it's just this idea that 
when David wasn't right with God, it took the whole country to not be right, um, to kind of like to slip. And it's for us, if we set up anybody else, and this is very poignant for us in our generation, if we set up anybody else above God or anybody else that we're looking to in the place of God, we're setting ourselves up to go left in our spiritual lives. And then when we haven't made progress, when we're in trouble, it might be a lot harder for us to get back on track with God than if we had just tried to stay with him from the beginning. Thank you. Is there any others? Okay, what I would say just to um just to close, I agree with both Nathan and Mitza. Um, but I would just say this. After we've been reading David's life and we've been through Goliath, through um through his interactions with Saul to the Bathsheba story to the explosion of situations that happened after Bathsheba. There is one um, phrase that is left with us after David's story that is throughout the whole Bible um, and, and how David is referenced throughout the whole Bible is he is a man after God's own heart. And it's amazing to think that after the kind of slip-ups he made and that's not just the thing with Bathsheba but even how he dealt with the with his things with his sons afterwards but God still calls him a man after his own heart and it tells me that we aren't defined by our sin when God looks at us and he has forgiven us and we've we've been truly repentant God doesn't see us as oh Reese was that guy who did x y or z Oh, I, I don't really... David did something to our eyes that is really bad. But God still calls him a man after his own heart. And it's just for us to say, even when we mess up, even when we do stuff that's really bad, even when we are um, broken and we feel like there's no hope, there is still God with open arms saying, just come to me and 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 you won't be defined by your sin. That won't be your lasting impression. I can clean you up. I can make it right. If we do a Psalm 51 prayer, it will be okay. God is there waiting. And so as much as yes, sin is um, a cancer, God has, has the cure for cancer. I'm going to ask a question based off what you just said. How do we get that Psalms 51 energy? The Psalms 51 energy, right? Um, quickly, just when we're reading that, yeah. um, for instance, when we're reading about this, for instance, when like Ellen White brings it up and all of this, she's, she's definite with what she says. You know, she turns around, she's like, David had done this horrible thing, but when David was filled with true repentance, David didn't even like look to like hide what he'd done or anything and it wasn't like oh lord forgive me because i'm afraid of the con the the, the consequences. consequences um it was the lord forgive me because i've done this abomination i've i'm out of touch with you i've done this evil thing help me to get back on track with you and that is <laughs> 
you get me that is that as as far as in my mind that's goals in as much as if i can if i can start regarding sin like that then that that's where i want to be but go ahead i think that's i think it's just that regarding sin for what it is i think if we can if when we repent we truly have a sorrow for sin i think that's where it starts that psalm 51 energy is a true sorrow for sin and if you look back at the the last week Firstly, have we repented at all? But also, if we have repented, was it a true sorrow for sin? David was broken. When David realised that it was that he was talking about himself, and this this whole thing came to his came to the front of his mind, he was like, it wasn't just the consequences Nathan was saying; it was the fact that he did it. Like the 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 sin, his sinfulness was in. Full, fullness in his mind how much is that when we, when, when we repent it, are we really sorrow, sorry for the sinfulness of ourselves or is it just oh yeah sorry forgive me I know you're going to forgive me so yeah forgive me and I'll be cool and I can move on and do it again tomorrow or is it a true sorrow for sin if you read through um, Psalms 51 and I would, I would advise all of us read through Psalms 51 this week um that's what I gain from that. That's what I get as the initial part. That's the starting thing. Are we really sorry for what we've done? Have we really grasped the effect that sin can have and how it affects God? Like, if we can dwell on that and if we can accept that and if we that is where our mind is at when we're, when we're in a repentant spirit, then I feel like we can, we can go through the Psalms 51 energy. But if we have a very complacent view of sin, where it's, where it's just a part of your life now, and it's just like, okay, well, all right, I guess I'll, I'm will i going to pick up my Bible now, so I better just pray and maybe ask for forgiveness, um, then it's, you haven't got the energy that David is feeling. And I think that, for me, is the key. It's, it, it's, it doesn't always happen like that, way, that way. And that is why I feel like we, we have difficulties with our repentance. Any other points? Amen. Cool. All right. Let's um let's pray to close. Um, Tyler, he's still there. Can you pray? Could you pray for us to close, please? Sure. All right. Let's pray. Dearly Father. We've been with us as we went through the study of David and his life. And I pray that the lessons that we draw from this story and from this testimony about, you know, how sin disrupts and destroys, but ultimately how you help to save, Lord. I pray that you help us understand these lessons, Lord, that we're able to actually, you know, understand how, sort of, you know, how great and powerful you are, Lord, and that we do need your help to overcome sin lord we pray that you help us with our troubles and our challenges that we go through each and every day lord just help be with us help us remain focused on you and that's as we are focused on you lord that you'll be able to share the good news about you and what you've done to be able to help us all i pray that you be with us all 
as we go through this lockdown, Lord, I pray that you give each of, each of the families represented here. It can be quite a trying time, um, quite lonely for some people. But I pray that you help us be able to connect, be able to be you know, one with each other, and to be able to uplift and encourage each other as we walk and try to be like you. So I pray that you be with us, help us, and help us to overcome sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.